Before the vigil mass last night, I was talking to Deacon Mark and I told him that this is one of my favorite feast days that the church celebrates, the Feast of Christ the King. And he looked at me and he said, seriously? And I said, Deacon Mark, I really like Jesus a lot. (laughs) So the church gathers her children on the last Sunday of the church year to celebrate the the feast of Christ the King of the universe. And this feast is a relatively new feast. It's actually less than 100 years old. Less than 100 years ago, in 1925, the Pope at the time, Pope Pius XI, recognized that secularism was growing in the world. Secularism, this basic underlying belief that I can build a world that is just, that is free, that is happy, where people flourish, I can build utopia without God. And Pius XI recognized that this is very problematic for a number of reasons. And so he called the church to celebrate on the last Sunday of her year what she will celebrate at the completion of her life. Brothers and sisters, this world will end and the church will cease to exist in this world. Actually, the entire universe will end. And we will find at the end of the story that Jesus Christ reigns as king. And I love that title of Jesus as king. I I like to think that I'm a good American. I like democracy. I like freedom. I grew up not being a fan of kings. We celebrate the tyranny of one on the 4th of July. And we're so glad that we broke away from him. But Jesus is not a politician. He's not stumping for our votes. And his authority has nothing to do with whether or not people like him or choose him. Jesus' authority is entirely tied to himself, not to us. We did not vote him in as king, nor can we vote him out. But nonetheless, he reigns as king over the entire universe. And one of the first and honestly most pivotal and greatest ways that I've gotten to know Christ under the title of king happened when I was in the fourth grade. And I, when I was in the fourth grade, I read a book that I would highly encourage any of our young people at Mass and any of our not-so-young people at Mass today to pick up and read as well, because it's a very exciting, wonderful read, and it is the story of Christianity disguised in the kingdom of Narnia. And so the author, of course, is the former atheist-turned-Christian C.S. Lewis, and in his Chronicles of Narnia, especially The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, C.S. Lewis tells the story of Christianity. And Christianity itself, right, we can find lots and lots of beautiful themes, but one of the great themes in the story of Narnia is the story of Aslan, the Lion King of Narnia. And as the story goes, these four children kind of stumble into this kingdom through the back of a wardrobe, and they enter into the great kingdom of Narnia, this, this magical land, And they hear about this story of Aslan, the great king, over the people who rightly reigns over the subjects of Narnia. But when the children enter into Narnia, it's described as being always winter and never Christmas. It's a place where evil has gained the upper hand, where the powers of darkness, the power of evil, the rejection of what is is good and what is beautiful is present in the kingdom of Narnia. And as the children enter into the story, they have the opportunity to meet Aslan, the Lion King, who has come to reclaim his kingdom. 
And Aslan definitively defeats the power of evil, the power of darkness in Narnia, by allowing himself to be captured by the White Witch and her evil forces. He allows his mane to be sheared. He is dragged to a stone altar, and it is there that he offers himself as a sacrifice. And as Aslan is offering himself as a sacrifice, the White Witch, the one who reigns as the evil queen over Narnia, taunts him. And she taunts Aslan, the Lion King, with her knowledge of the truths governing Narnia. And how he thinks that he is going to bring his people life by dying for them, but she knows better because she knows the truths of the kingdom of Narnia. And Aslan looks at her as he begins to offer himself, and he says this, Do not cite the deep magic of the universe to me, witch. I was there when it was written. Brothers and sisters, you and I live in a culture that would claim to know truth. You and I find ourselves living in a culture where daily people make claims about what is true. But it would seem often in our culture that in the midst of these truth claims is the implicit lie that truth is governed by us, that it's this powerless, authorityless thing that we can just make whatever we want it to be. And so we we want to hear Jesus, our King, loudly speaking to us in the gospel today that truth is not authorityless, truth is not powerless, truth is Him. And we want to hear Jesus implicitly telling us through the readings, do not cite the truths of the universe to me. I was there when they were created. One of the great lies that our culture tells today is that if you really seek truth, if you really want to honestly think about the universe, about its origins, about where it comes from, you have to choose the side of atheism. And nothing is further from the truth. Science actually tells us, science itself is a beautiful witness of the truth that governs the universe, the truth that is Jesus Christ. What do I mean by that? Science presupposes that the universe operates in an intelligible and an orderly way. Intelligible, it can be known, and orderly, it operates consistently. Gravity is not just a thing in the United States of America, it exists in the entire world. 3.14159 is not just pi in in Topeka, Kansas or Kansas City. It is pi everywhere in the world. The universe itself operates in an intelligible and orderly way. That means that it is knowable. And so science itself, by the fact that it is even possible to do science in our universe, points to the fact that there is one who is intelligent, who gave the universe its order. And it is him that we celebrate this day as king over the entire universe. Because the creature is not greater than the one who created it. And so the universe itself bows down and worships before the God who created it, before the God who was there when its laws were created. And that same God invites us, the only creatures in that creation, who can choose whether or not to listen, whether or not to bow down before him, whether or not to honor and to serve him or ourselves. And so we want to hear Jesus gently but very directly calling us to attention this morning and saying, my friends, do not cite the truth of the universe to me. 
I was there when it was created. You think you've got the universe figured out. I was there when it was created. And I will govern it with authority for its entire existence. And when it ends, I will still be. And so it is amazing to see that the universe operates in such an orderly way. And the one being in it that is free to choose whether or not to honor that, to listen to the voice of truth, and to submit to it with our lives are the people that he made in his image and likeness, the people that he made free. And so, brothers and sisters, we have a decision on our hands whether or not to listen to the voice of truth, whether or not to honor and to worship him or to push him out of our lives. At the beginning of the story of Narnia, as the children are hearing about Aslan for the first time, they enter into this great kingdom, and of course they meet talking beavers. And once they get over the fact that beavers can talk in Narnia, the beavers begin to tell the children about the great king Aslan. And one of the children very innocently, her name is Lucy, one of the children very innocently asks Mr. Beaver, and she says, Mr. Beaver, this lion, is, is he a safe lion? Is he tame? Is he safe? And Mr. Beaver kind of reacts in a very startled way, and he says, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he is good. He's the king, I tell you. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ, our king, is not safe, nor does he call us to what is safe. He does not call us to a love that is safe. He does not call us to a life that is safe. But it is good. It is very good. And so we live in a culture that would tell us, even when we profess faith in Christ, as Pilate actually did in the gospel, did you hear that? Pontius Pilate in the gospel, Jesus says, you say I am a king. Did Pilate live that? No, he did not. And so we find ourselves living amidst a world and a culture that would tell us, all you have to do is just pay lip service to Jesus. As long as you say that he's God, that's enough. Brothers and sisters, that is not true. It is incredibly intellectually dishonest to say that he is king and then to turn around and live like he is not. He is not a safe king. He does not call us to worship ourselves. He does not call us to live under our own definitions for reality. He does not call us to reinvent the truths that the universe proclaims. Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ is King. And he calls us to deny ourselves, to lose ourselves in the pursuit of loving him and following his commands. No honest leader would tell their people that the, that the number one aim of their leadership is safety. And Jesus does not call his friends to be just safe. Jesus came to make his friends free. We can live in safety in prison. We can receive three meals a day. We can never be attacked. We can live in safety for the rest of our days in prison. Jesus did not come to let us live in slavery to sin and in slavery to death. Jesus conquered them. And he calls us out of our self-made aloneness. He calls us out of our slavery to sin. He calls us out of our comfort and to honor and serve him this day as king. And so the church invites us to consider where are the places in our lives where we do not listen to the voice of truth? Where are the places in our families where we do not submit to the reign of Christ the King? Who is it that decides in our lives what love is? Who is it that decides in our life where the sanctuary of life is passed on, the family, what that looks like? 
Who is it that decides in our life whether or not we are serving Christ or not serving Christ? Brothers and sisters, he does not call us to safety. But what he calls us to is freedom. And it is good. It actually is great. And we will find at the end of the story, when it is all said and done, that it is he who reigns as king. And so the book of Revelation rightly calls Jesus the lion of the tribe of Judah. Because the story of Aslan, the story of Narnia, is the story of Jesus of Nazareth, the rightful king who has come to reclaim his throne. And brothers and sisters, it is high time that we acknowledge this lion is not safe. He is good. It is high time that we let this lion out of his cage.